Good morning again. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. That'll be our sermon text for this morning, Philippians 4, verse 4. And before we read that verse together, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the hope that we have of the promised land, of the new Jerusalem, of the new creation, uh, that time when we will see you face to face and we will delight in you for all eternity. And we pray, Father, that you would uh, increase our hope and joy for that day, but also teach us to delight in you today. Uh, Teach us to delight in you right now. Teach us to delight in your Uh, person, in your work. Teach us to delight in your smile on us, uh, your love for us shown in the gospel. Uh, Teach us to delight right now uh, as we look at your word and uh, meditate on it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice I want you to be happy. One of my goals in preaching is actually your happiness. I want you to leave here uh, with delight in your heart and joy in your soul. Now, some of you may be worried that this makes me a sellout or a people pleaser or some such thing. I assure you it does not. Uh, I want you to be happy because the chief end of man, our very purpose for existence, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We were created for happiness. Uh, Sin disrupts that, but God in the gospel is restoring what sin has broken. True happiness, true joy. I don't think there's a difference between happiness and joy, by the way. Uh, I know that a great many Christians make a big to-do about this distinction. I'm not saying they're not onto something, uh, but what they are onto has little to do with the words happiness and joy. Uh, The Bible nowhere contrasts these two words uh, or develops parallel concepts in this way. It's just not there. Uh, One philosopher, theologian whom I respect uh, deeply but disagree with on this point, he distinguishes uh, between joy and happiness and pleasure. Uh, He says pleasure is in the body, happiness is in the mind and emotions, and joy is in the spirit. But the Bible says that wisdom is pleasure. To a man of understanding in Proverbs 10, 23. And according to Psalm 16, at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. So one would never contrast the pleasures at God's right hand with joy. I would suggest the distinction that people are getting at is the distinction between a happiness grounded in the stuff of this life, uh, which ultimately then is an emotion that passes, and a happiness grounded in spiritual things, which lasts. But in both cases, the concept of happiness or joy is the same. It's the source source and the extent that differ. Uh, For you uh, etymology nerds out there, uh, happiness is related to happenstance. Uh, So happiness historically is about lucky circumstances. But etymology does not govern usage. And uh, the way we use the word happy today uh, is to mean simply an emotion that comes maybe from lucky circumstances or from any other circumstances for that matter, right? Happiness simply describes the emotion. 
regardless of where that emotion comes from. And so the way we use it uh, is essentially as a synonym for joy. I say this because today we're talking about rejoicing in the Lord. And when I talk about joy or delighting in the Lord, I mean being happy in the Lord. Our outline this morning is uh, just going to follow Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. You can uh, look at the bulletin if you like, but it's uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, Philippians 4, 4. So first, rejoice. Uh, Paul is commanding an emotion, or maybe it's better to say, as some of us talked about earlier this week, Paul is exhorting an emotion. Uh, I've often said that do not fear is the most common command in Scripture. Maybe more common, I don't know, uh, though, if taken in all its variants, is the command or the exhortation to rejoice, to delight, to sing to the Lord. Uh, there are varieties of joy, of course, right? There's, there's a momentary explosion of giddiness and giggling and laughter. And there is a deep, settled, and happy contentment. The word rejoice covers all of these. Uh, we talked about emotions uh, in Sunday school class last semester, and we said that you don't control your emotions, like flipping on a light switch. Uh, you don't have to obey them, uh, but you don't control them. However, you do train them, right? Uh, so you don't, you don't control your emotions, but you do influence them by what you believe and what you do. And so when Paul says, be happy in the Lord, uh, he doesn't mean immediately change your emotional state regardless of your situation. And he certainly doesn't mean put on a fake smile so everybody thinks you're happy even if you're not. He does mean train your soul to delight. Now, in Bible study last week when we were talking about Philippians, I mentioned that I think I have become a less joyful person over time. And I looked at Deborah and I asked her, I said, Deborah, do you think I've become a less joyful person over time? And she said, yes. <laughs> now, I'm not a joyless person, uh, but I do struggle with joy at times. And maybe you are there as well. And so let me encourage you, don't fake it. Fight for it. Better the long, hard struggle of fighting for joy than settling for the appearance of it and never knowing the reality. Now, Paul is commanding or exhorting this emotion, but he's commanding more than emotion. Uh, to rejoice is not simply the same thing as having joy. It includes that, uh, but it's more than that. One theological dictionary says joy is not just inward. It has a cause and finds expression. It is a disposition of the whole man. And we'll get to the cause in a moment, but now I want to talk about this expression, right? Joy may be an emotion, but to rejoice is an action. Rejoice in the Lord does not simply mean feel a certain way. It means celebrate. To celebrate something involves your emotions, to be sure, but it engages your emotions through a whole host of activities, to rejoice in the Lord means to celebrate the Lord. Hence, Psalm 96, verses 1 and 2 is a call to rejoice. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Psalm 81, verse 1. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Psalm 147, verse 1. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant. Psalm 149, verse 3, let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. 
So exhortations to sing and shout, praise and bless, dance and play are all various ways of rejoicing in the Lord, celebrating our God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And let me ask you, right, how do you rejoice in the Lord? Right? How do you rejoice in the Lord? It's an exhortation. Go rejoice. Go celebrate what your God has done. What is it that you do to engage your soul in the act of celebrating what God has done in Christ? This is the exhortation, right? Rejoice in the Lord. Two, in. Uh, the, the preposition here tells us that joy or rejoicing is grounded in something. That may seem obvious, but the point is rejoicing is not just because. It always has a cause. Uh, I don't mean you don't always, I don't mean that you always know why you're happy. Uh, I, I don't mean you need an excuse to celebrate, right? If you want to go throw a party just to throw a party, by all means, throw a party and have fun. But I would have you recognize and consider that our joy is always grounded somewhere. In Luke 15, 3-7, Jesus tells a parable. He says, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Uh, he, Jesus goes on to tell a similar story about a lost coin, which ends with the woman saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And notice the joy in both of those stories is grounded in some felicitous event. Something good happens. What was lost is found. And this is just as true in the mundane, a sheep or a, caw, a, 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 sheep or a coin that was lost is found, as well as in heaven. One sinner who repents brings joy before the angels. Now, who is before the angels? God himself. God himself rejoices when lost things are found. I don't pretend to understand it, but there are circumstances by his design that make God happy, like one sinner who repents. So the question is not, are you seeking happiness or joy? If you want to put it that way, that's fine, but I think it's misleading, right? As if these were different things. The question is, from where are you seeking happiness? happiness or joy? In what do you seek happiness? In what do you seek joy? Some seek it in the mundane, right? Physical pleasures of food and sex, entertainment, uh, uh, music and movies, a, a good book, a, a great cup of coffee, a quiet room. Maybe it's just parents who think a quiet room is joy. Um, some seek it in social pleasures, right? Friends and family and relationships and romance. Some in knowledge, right? Academics or learning or degrees. Some in being right or being known or being loved. Some in personal achievement and success. Now, the truth is, I don't think enjoying any of these things is wrong, though our enjoyment of them can become disordered. Uh, Peter Kreeft uh, writes, Freud says that spiritual joy is a substitute for physical pleasure. People become saints out of sexual frustrations. 
But, Kreeft says, uh, this is exactly the opposite of the truth. St. Thomas Aquinas says, no man can live without joy. That is why one deprived of spiritual joy goes over to carnal pleasures. Sanctity is never a substitute for sex, but sex is often a substitute for sanctity. See, and what, what actually both Freud and Kreeft are getting at is that joy, pleasure, delight are found in something. They just disagree on what that something ultimately is. There is a source, right? There is a fountain from which we drink, from which we find joy. And the question is, what is that fountain? The. Now, I don't need to say too many things about the definite article, I don't think, uh, but it deserves comment. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Now, if you know a little Greek, actually, you, you, you might uh, look at the Greek text and think, uh, Luke, actually, it doesn't say the in Greek. Uh, but the lack of an article in Greek does not make the word indefinite, uh, right? There, there are other factors. Uh, here is the question, though. Uh, when Paul said, rejoice in the Lord, did he not mean a specific Lord? Is Paul exhorting us to rejoice in a Lord? or some Lord of our own choosing, or the Lord, however you might define him. It's not what Paul is saying. No, Paul has a very specific Lord in mind. Rejoice in the Lord. Well, who is he? Number four, Lord. Uh, we keep coming back to this question, in what do you rejoice? Uh, what gives you joy? What gives you pleasure? What makes you happy? And for many of us, we would name something in this world, something in the present age. Uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes sought satisfaction in the pleasant, present age, you may remember. He said, uh, come now, I will test my heart with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But he concluded, this also is vanity. Laughter and wine and houses and gardens and slaves and possessions and herds and flocks and silver and gold and singers and concubines. The delight of the children of man, he says. He enjoyed them all, but he found that any pleasures he might have didn't last, that they gained him nothing. It's not that they aren't real pleasures, but they're fading. They're fickle. And truth be told, they are ultimately unsatisfying. Lollipops, right, will not satisfy when bread is what you need. There's something more that we need. And so Paul tells us exactly where to find joy. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, the Lord that Paul is talking about is Jesus. Uh, th this is part of the, the part of the gospel that Paul preached again and again. Romans 10, 9. We are to confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore, I want you to understand, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2, 11, One day, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In fact, in Philippians, Paul uses the word Lord 15 times. Uh, six, it explicitly uh, refers to G the Lord Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus my Lord. Four, talk about our being in the Lord and so our union with Christ. Uh, in in 2.24, Paul trusts in the Lord that he will come to the Philippians soon, just as he hopes in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. So again, it's parallel to the Lord Jesus. Philippians 4.5 talks about the Lord being at hand, which is talking either about the present or future presence of the Lord Jesus, one or the other. 
And the final three speak of rejoicing in the Lord. Right? So what that means is every other instance of Lord in Philippians pretty clearly refers to Jesus. And so these final three that speak of rejoicing in the Lord should be taken as referring to him as well. And here's the point. Our joy is in Jesus. This shouldn't be too surprising, right? I mean, as you just reading through the Gospels, the Gospel narratives, Jesus' life is surrounded with joy, right? Jesus' birth was surrounded with joy. Matthew 2.10, when, the, when the, the wise men saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. When Mary comes to the house of Elizabeth, Luke 1.44, the baby in her womb leapt for joy, the message of the angels in Luke 2.10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Jesus' ministry was surrounded by joy, right? Luke 13.17, the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. At his triumphal entry in Luke 19, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Even at his ascension, right? Luke 24, his disciples worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy joy. And so Paul is exhorting us to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that we ought to celebrate, right? What, what is it about Jesus that should bring us joy? Well, first, his person, right? Who is Jesus? He is God, the Son, eternal, unchangeable, holy, righteous, and good. But he is God, the Son, become man for us. And so we rejoice in the mystery of the person of Jesus, fully God, yet fully man. Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. But it doesn't end there, right? This brings us to second, Jesus' work. Uh, Paul has outlined this in Philippians 2, that, that though, though God, Jesus did not hold on to titles and status, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Born as a man, he humbled himself and obeyed even to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus, though God in heaven, took on our humanity for us in our place, that he might die for us in our place. Jesus came for the express purpose of sharing in our guilt, our curse, our sadness, and our death. As Peter put it, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. And so we rejoice in the person of Christ, and we rejoice in the work of Christ, his humility, his servant's heart, his dying the death that we deserved and taking the curse that we ourselves could not bear. And this brings us to Jesus' gospel, right? Jesus, God and man, came to die, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the de dead and defeated sin and guilt and death. And the good news of the gospel is that he came to share in our suffering, and now we can share in his victory through faith in him. And so we rejoice in the good news in Jesus, by faith in Jesus, we can have our sins forgiven and we find new life through the gift of his spirit. And finally, we rejoice, therefore, in the Father's love. So we rejoice in Jesus' person and work and gospel and we rejoice in the Father's love, right? We rejoice in the Lord, why? Because Jesus is the token of the Father's love for sinners, Right? Jesus is the proof that the Father smiles on us and doesn't frown in disapproval. For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son. Jesus, his person, work, and gospel are the result of the Father's love for sinners. And so the gospel and work and person of Jesus should lead us back up to the Father's love as following a stream will eventually lead you to its source and headwaters. Where do you find joy? Are you seeking joy in the pleasures of this age, in making a name for yourself, or in accomplishment and success, 
Or are you seeking joy in the Lord? Now, I have one important qualification to make about this, which is that mundane goods, right, the things of this life, are tokens of the Father's love and so to be enjoyed as such. Right? By saying that we ought to rejoice in the Lord, I'm not saying we can't enjoy the things of this life. Right? It's, it's not, you better not enjoy anything or else you're not enjoying God. That's, that's not the case. Right? Enjoy the gifts of the giver by all means. Just don't enjoy the gifts instead of the giver. In fact, enjoy the gifts because they are from the giver. Right? Enjoy the gifts as tokens of the Father's love. Our joy is profoundly relational, right? We enjoy a person and his love, but that person loves us so much that he gives good gifts to be enjoyed as love gifts and tokens of his favor. So you might wonder, well, okay, so uh, we, we don't focus on created goods. We, we enjoy the Lord, but then now, okay, we can enjoy created goods. So how do you know if you're enjoying this present age as a token of the Father's love, or if you have begun to seek satisfaction in this present age for its own sake? How do I know if, if the enjoyment of this age has replaced my enjoyment of the Father's love in Jesus? Well, the answer to that question is, is actually relatively simple, and it comes with the fifth word in this verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. You mean, Paul, that I should rejoice even when things aren't going my way? Even when my kids are fighting and I burn dinner and the dog pees on the floor? Even when I come down with cancer? Even when my mom dies in a car accident? Even when I am oppressed or persecuted or abused? And it can get worse, right? It can at least get more real and more raw than sanitized words like oppression and abuse. You mean I'm to rejoice even then? Now, I hesitate. I, I pause right in this moment because I know that what I say might seem cold or uncaring or unloving. It might seem like I lack understanding or lack compassion, but I assure you that is not the case, right? I, I've known my share of difficulty. Maybe it's small compared to yours. I don't know. But I assure you that I, I have had loved ones throughout my life who have experienced whatever you have gone through. There is no abuse so horrible that I have not sat across from someone and wept with them and for them over such things. And so I don't say this because I don't understand. And I don't say this because I don't care. In fact, I say this to save you from the continued oppression of past, present, and future pain. Am I to rejoice even then? Yes. Yes. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now bear with me for a minute and hear me out, right? Let me say just two things. First, we, we can rejoice in suffering. Now that's a confusing statement uh, because the word in is actually ambiguous there. We do not rejoice in our suffering in the sense of on account of our suffering. We do not rejoice in suffering as the source of joy. We rejoice in the Lord. But we rejoice in the context of suffering. If our joy were based on circumstances, then we could not rejoice always because circumstances change. But we rejoice in the Lord, and He does not change. His love does not change. And so James can say, James 1-2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Paul can say, We rejoice in our sufferings, Romans 5-3. 
Colossians 1.24, now I rejoice in my sufferings. 2 Corinthians 7.4, in all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. 2 Corinthians 6.10, Paul says he is sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Paul can praise the Thessalonians because they became imitators of Paul and of the Lord because they received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Acts 5.41, the apostles rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Now, James and Paul and the Thessalonians and the apostles, they, they aren't crazy. Uh, but in the midst of their sorrow, their trials, and their troubles, which included for Paul beatings and persecution and shipwreck and betrayal and more, Paul found joy in the Lord. His happiness came from a source other than the shifting sand of circumstances. You know, think about it. Do you remember the first time that you fell in love? Do you remember the first time that you fell in love and the other person loved you back? Suddenly the whole world seems a bit different. Being in love is a powerful thing. Knowing you are loved, receiving love from another person, it lets us know that we're not alone, right? It lets us know that the whole world is not against us. It gives us something to rejoice in, though everything else seems like it's falling apart. Well, imagine with me if you knew how much God loved you. If you knew how wide and how long and how high and how deep was the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, Paul says. If his love sunk into your bones, what would that do? How would that change your perspective on everything? We can rejoice in the midst of suffering because we rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in Jesus who died for us, in the Father who loves us, in the Spirit who resides in us, in the gospel which forgives us, in our hope which stands before us. Those things will never go away. God does not change. He will not go back on his promises. His love is not fickle. Rejoice in the Lord always. But also mourn. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. To rejoice in the Lord always is not to pretend that there are no problems with the world. There is a time to mourn, a time to weep. In fact, I think as Christians who understand the depth of the sin and brokenness of the world and who understand the depth of the love of God for this world, we should be on the verge of tears and laughter at every moment. I don't know quite how to do that, but I think that's where Paul calls us to be when he says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. When the same room, you can have somebody rejoicing and weeping. So what do I do? For on the verge of tears and laughter at every moment, ready to weep, ready to laugh. But we also need to know that laughter wins. We do not mourn as those who have no hope. We believe in the resurrection. Our mourning is not tyranny, right? Why? Because of God's love in the gospel by his grace, by his power, by his promises. Those things allow us to rejoice even in the midst of our troubles because of the future that we have in Jesus, of the resurrection on the last day. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. And fifth and finally, or is it sixth? I don't know. Again, again. Why does Paul repeat this exhortation? I mean, Paul already exhorted the Philippians to rejoice back in chapter 3, verse 1. He then repeats that exhortation in chapter 4, verse 4, and then again in the same verse. Why? Well, I think because we are so slow to hear it. 
Right? The Philippian church, like all churches, experienced trouble. They had enemies without, conflict within. They bickered and they argued. They were persecuted and looked down upon. They had reason to mourn. Paul, too, had reason to mourn. He was in jail, after all, when he wrote this letter. And so Paul is saying, lift up your eyes. Lift your eyes above your troubles. Don't ignore them. Don't pretend everything is okay. Don't put on a happy face, but take in the big picture. God is at work here. He loves you. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to give up on you. He's going to finish what he started in your life. He's going to make all things new and work all things out for the good of those who love him in the end. Whatever your troubles, whatever your trials, rejoice in the Lord always. Let's pray. Our Father, give us joy. Give us joy. We can't work it up in ourselves. We can't fake it. We can't manufacture it. Give us joy. Give us joy in your Son. Give us joy in your love which is displayed in Him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.